Charles Noe. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 384. Jason Lingren is with me, and our guest today is Kalina Lux. The first part of that is based on her given name and came from meditation. If I'm not mistaken, Lux is Latin for light. She has opened up a new church called Templus Aquaria Church, and you will understand why she did this as we get into the tale. We're going to be covering just the kind of draconian treatment of the American protectorate called Puerto Rico. And I was aware of it because I have friends who were born and grew up in Puerto Rico. And uh, in certain parts of the world, it was many times more severe what most of us experienced here in the States. And I think there's a reason for that besides size, besides the right to bear arms, and besides the idea that we've got all these legal standards that are supposedly need to be met in this country. Nonetheless, Puerto Rico is an American protectorate. So go figure. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And good afternoon. All right. We got anything to go? We got oodles and oodles of bullet points to get through here. And I guess I will mention Kalina has put together legal documents as we have done in so many shows. The difference being she wrote them in Puerto Rico and they have been translated into Spanish. So those will be freely given. We'll talk about these things. Anyhow, welcome, Kalina. Thank you so much, Co. All right. Good to have you here. Let's just jump in. Uh, you're in Puerto Rico and they just went hog wild with their uh, locking up of people in houses and mandates, didn't they? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because with Puerto Rico, having been through so much oppression, uh, they really test everything out on the people of Puerto Rico first. And when it works, they, they gauge how well it works here and then they apply it in all the rest of the states that they can. Do you feel like there was any significant pushback uh, in Puerto Rico or do you no. feel? No. In fact, no, it was, it was, they did it in such a way that was psychologically, they created the, a situation where they wanted more because when the hurricane came through, I don't know if you guys knew about the hurricane Maria, which was like a harp induced hurricane category six, if there's a possible, you know, it was that big. And they slowed it down over the Island for three days and annihilated all the old growth trees. They had like 500 year old mahogany and teak trees. And they didn't give the people here enough service, right? They didn't, the government, they, they, the government quote unquote, didn't do enough about it. And so in this case, the people were just begging for more lockdowns. Wow. Goes to show you, you know, uh, an emergency never goes to waste these days, whether it's manufactured or otherwise, I guess there's no such thing as a non-manufactured emergency at this point, because even when a thing starts because it's starting, it seems to be latched onto and manipulated. But at that point, after the hurricane and we reach, I don't know, do you, do you mark, I marked the beginning of what happened in the United States at 311. Do you mark 311 2020 as the start point where it comes into the broad daylight? Yeah. 39 and 311 right through those dates where it was kind of getting on the radar here. So at first when the mandates started coming, were they severe out of the gate? But what were you guys seeing there? So it wasn't like it took a couple of weeks for them to get severe, but then they got extremely severe. Like we're talking, you, we had a 5 p.m. curfew on some days. They shut down all the beaches for months. They required masks and gloves and um, like temperature checks to the face. And it got so bad that on Sundays, you couldn't leave your house. You couldn't drive. And you couldn't drive with more than one person in the vehicle. And then they said you could only drive like on a certain day of the week corresponding to if your license plate ended in a positive or a negative or even or odd, I'm sorry. 
We've seen this before in the 70s during the manufactured gas crisis. Uh, they played this game out where you can only get gas dependent on the odd or even last number of your license, which was probably the first run at this kind of, I don't know, rights enforcement. So what what was the enforcement like? Was it was military out there enforcing? Was it local police or state police or however it works in Puerto Rico? Who was doing the enforcement? Yeah. So, and that's the thing. So I'm prior air force, like you, I'm a veteran. So I was expecting full military on the streets and everything. However, they self-policed. It was the most astonishing thing I've ever seen. Even the police really couldn't police. Occasionally you would see like the police on the four wheelers going down the beaches um, and trying to clear them out, but that was pretty rare. Mostly it was just the news scaring the ever living daylights out of these people to get them to comply. Do people in Puerto Rico feel like they're Puerto Ricans or do they feel like they're Americans? Do they feel like they're a little bit of both? What's the typical perception of someone who's been born and and brought up in Puerto Rico? Yeah. So mostly, and, and this is a split, right? But for the most part, what I've gathered is people here identify as Boricua. They are identify as purely Puerto Rican. A lot of people tend to not identify as being United States at all. And some of them do, but I noticed there's this, like, this overarching confusion. They're not really sure how they fit in. Is there a sense of rights? Like in the United States, at least when I was younger, there was a sense of this place is rule of law. If there's no law, there's no problem. That is part of what was socially engineered out of us during my lifetime. But what's the perception in Puerto Rico is independent and rights and the rule of law? Are these big ideas down there at this point? No, but what I did notice was when, okay, so interestingly enough, right before this happened, we had a different governor, if you will, and they staged an artificial revolution that was backed by like Bad Bunny and all these kinds of like really high level Illuminati puppets for for lack of better terms. And it made the people like believe that they were in control and had just ousted this horrible dictator. And it was really strategically done because I believe just from watching history and observing currently that they were due a revolution because the tensions were high. And they staged this to kind of harvest that sensation. And the, now the people feel accomplished and now they, it kind of wiped out all of their ideas. And so they installed this secondary pretend acting governor, if you will. And she kept uh, putting out this mantra subconsciously that, oh, Puerto Rico is a land of the law. We have laws here. We are civilized. So in this, I think they were kind of prepping up to it. And she was the one responsible for installing a lot of these executive orders that still hold today. Wow. So basically, you're watching things go from bad to worse. You're waiting for others to act in a way that you're trying to act and you see nothing. Uh, you start to research some of the people that have been on my podcast, Cal Washington and others, and you start to lose hope. So you move off grid. Take up what picks up when you move off grid. Yeah. So I definitely try to get people on board and and just everybody was so overwhelmed because like you and, and many of your listeners, day one, we already knew this was happening, right? We, we I was just shocked it took so long. So um, I was like, well, I can't do anything lawfully. I didn't feel like I had the confidence to actually, or the intelligence or the understanding to do anything about this. So I just took care of my needs. I found a beautiful little finca off grid in the mountains with you know, spring water, no cell signal. I'm talking not even 5G, not 3G, nothing. And 
when I found the land, I'm like trained in shamanic journey, Native American with no medicines, just drum. And I went to like ask the land guardians, quote unquote, right, to see if I could buy the land. And they gave me some stipulations. They were like, of course, however, you've got to open up a church and it's going to be for detox and healing using CDS, which I, I know one of your, a few of your guests have talked about. And you're going to have to protect people from the mask and the vaccine. And I was like, wow, well, this was pretty early on. So of course I agreed, but I didn't really resonate with the term church, uh, but I went with it and I started like, I went home before I was even in escrow. I started doing the etymology. The property had been abandoned for like 50 years and it had Aquarius statues all throughout the, pro- the property. And it's at the convergence of four rivers with three waterfalls year round. Wow. 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 On like 10 levels. You just got wow. his attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, it's, and, and it's up in the mountains with pure air. There's not a gas station or a single bit of civilization for at least 40 minute drive in any direction. And nobody wanted the property. And I really feel that like it was destined for me. And, and I know that on your show, we like to keep things grounded. Uh, and I'm probably going to be one of your more woo-woo guests, but I mean, I got to share it like it is, right? Some of these things, you can't deny that there is a greater intelligence guiding things, right? Well, you know, you went back to the, the, the everything's going to hell in a handbasket. So you go to the one place where you know you can find truth and you go off grid and you go back into nature and you meditate. For the entirety of the history of this world that I think I'm probably aware of, that's how it was done. That is the onset of why pagans needed to be defamed. Uh, That is the onset of why we had to separate from nature to get control. And when you start telling the tale, you're going to create a church with a mission, and it's going to be called Templus Aquaria. And I'm reasonably sure we can call this the age of Aquarius at this point. I just don't know where we are within it. Um, but that will come around. I think these, you know, this is beyond the idea of synchronicity to me. And this brings us to the idea of does doing what's right matter? Well, hell yes, it matters. It's always mattered. And if you go for the synthetic vulgarity of our era, you can lose track of that. But the truth is, is it does matter. And it's these little things that people call woo-woo that most of us don't know how to parse uh, that are showing that there's so much more that we can access here but I feel like I'm pulling you off. So, so basically you're going to get this property now and you feel as if you have a responsibility in return to the natural world to open up a church that is designed to be a safe haven from all the inoculation nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. It's specific words where it'll, you'll be in service to truth and healing. And to me, truth is like the highest form of, of sacred anything, right? So anyways, yeah. So That was basically what happened from there. I went home before I was even in escrow. I made the website. I found the name. I studied the etymology of it. That was the one. And, you know, templis is is plural for temples of aqua and water, air and water, right? So that was kind of the basis of it alongside the waterfalls. So, so you just said so many critical things. I think most of us have a tough time. And I'm guessing, uh, of course, you're a Latin-based speaker. Um, so templus, yeah, you're pluralizing the idea of a temple, which is an older meaning before the meaning that is typically put on temple now, um, place of worship, but tied to nature. But Aquaria, most people don't think about it. Aqua is water, area is air. So most people see the age of Aquarius idea with a a man pouring water and they think, oh, this is a water. It is not a water age. It is in fact an air age. 
Um, I would go so far as to say we were well within the the so-called age of Aquarius when the first plane flew that we're told flew. Uh, but to get back to the point, uh, and by the way, I guess I should ask right now, is the Templus Aquaria Church up and running right now? Can people get access? Absolutely. Yes. So we have every other month we'll hold temple service at the, the property. I, I we, we sleep 10. I'm expanding to get more accommodations, but we have temple service on grounds and we have every Sunday, we have a telegram temple and every Sunday we host different guest teachers to do zoom classes that are teaching us stuff on law, autocracy, free energy devices. I don't know if we're allowed to say that on your show. Sure. And we've got people that are even introducing things like Antiquitech and Detox and all kinds of things that are cutting edge, but all themed new sovereign earth. Okay. So you've got a church that's up and running. You're off grid. Uh, You're trying to return service to other living beings. Meanwhile, a senator is going to introduce a bill uh, for a thing called a vacupass, which is basically a, a blockchain vaccine idea. And they're trying to apply it. Wait for this. Everybody who's been listening to me for the last, I don't know how many years, for goods and services, right? Um, goods and services are going to be the portal to hell. So bring us in there. What what happens? And is it actually enforced? And is it actually a thing right now? Yeah. So this was in the early summer of last year. Some senator introduced that bill. And when I heard about it, I, I mean, we all knew it was coming, right? So the fact that it's already set up as a system to go on a blockchain is really discouraging to me because we can make artwork for any of our needs, but until it comes to blockchain, we can no longer do that. So at that moment, I conferred with some of my people that are Puerto Ricans in that. And I remember that once upon a time, just I had made a cease and desist just on Facebook, like way back in the day. And I was like, well, let me do a cease and desist again, because that one, even though there's no way to prove that it had an effect, I think there is something to be said about writing and declaring it, it on paper in the public, in the quantum realm, because I, I put Masanto et al. on a cease and desist notice, like within the last, remember when he sold to Bayer? Yes, we covered it. Yeah. Yeah. So right previous to that, within like not even a year, I wrote a public cease and desist to Monsanto, basically saying, I give you one year to stop all this or get off the planet. And I didn't understand that at that point you could just transfer ownership, which I later learned from Cal Washington stuff. And I saw that and it it caught my eye. I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. But I didn't really believe they were correlated until this thing happened. So I wrote the cease and desist. I really had no clue what I was doing and I didn't even send it. I didn't send anything formally. I didn't use my name. I used like we, the people at a proton mail account. And it, it wasn't done with any of the stuff that I know now. And I just sent it out and I added the Cal Washington's thing. Like, look, dude, we're going to give you 10 grand a day fines for violating my rights. And I give you seven days grace period until we're going to start fining you. And no joke, within five days, not only did that senator retract the bill, but all of the mandates here were canceled, including the mask mandate, which was unheard of because in Puerto Rico, like all the natives here, the locals were begging for the mask and they wore the mask for the entire time that the mandates were off. They still wore the mask. They still social distanced. They still did all the things, but they had canceled it. So, I mean, after I saw the correlation, I was like, hmm, okay. 
well, you're, you're getting to see, you know, when you listen to people, like so many people don't know how to shut the hell up and listen and then parse through information. Um, they get to a point where I don't believe this. So I'm throwing everything out. And that's unfortunate. The idea of the quantum realm is within what you're doing. And is it possible that little old you put up a, uh, a simple cease and desist and it actually made a difference because someone called them out in the world. And while you may never draw the line, there is something to all this. And if it is really that simple, imagine what it means about being in the graceless state we're currently in, where if just a small number of people stood up and said, knock it off, what would be the result? But I've got to ask, was this a U.S. senator or a Puerto Rican senator that introduced the bill? A Puerto Rican one. How many senators do you have in Puerto Rico? You know, I don't know. And I can't actually, I'm not sure if he was a senator or a representative, but he was one Uh, of the, I think he was a senator. We don't have that many. Well, I was, I know there's uh, people are going to say we should have looked at when we should have the the idea of how they're represented as a U.S. protectorate has recently come up, but I guess we'll just, we'll bypass this. So the cease and desist happens. And within just a few days, you see a change. So you start to think to yourself, I'm guessing, hey, there's something to this. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. I I was I was pretty just relieved that they had lifted it and I took that as an opportunity to go and do all the things that I needed to do within society cuz I was in the middle of a remodel. So I kind of dropped the ball until later on when they said that they were now calling for the thing, right? The what can we call that, pro? The pointed stick. <laughs> <laughs> we did a whole episode where we used the pointed stick instead of the inoculation just to make a pun, but yeah. All right. We'll say, you know, stick without the carrot. <laughs> all right. All right. So yeah. So, so the whole, um, the acupuncture we'll go with. So <laughs> uh, yeah. Then they later out on and they came out and said that they're now going to need this for federal employees. And that's when I was like, oh, geez, we got two months of chill. And then they kind of wrapped up, ramped them up a little bit. And I didn't do anything. So because I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to enforce it. How would I collect on the 10,000 per day? Like, I didn't think that far ahead. I didn't think I would get any results. I just knew I just wasn't going to stand around and do nothing. Okay. So, I mean, just before we move on, are you convinced that your initial cease and desist played a role in what you saw come next? I think it had to because he withdrew that so fast. We addressed it. So when I say we, right, I made a template in a Google document and I try to share it with as many people as possible. And to my knowledge, maybe a couple other people sent it as well, but I don't think many people did send it. And I do know that also a group here put together like a thousand page packet of information and they sent it out to all the officials with information on it. And they sent it to, I think they sent it to every chief of police in Puerto Rico as well, but I'm not sure. I don't know because I wasn't working directly with them, but those two things in tandem, I believe had an effect. I think you're right. I think that there are people in positions that know they're walking the razor's edge. And also in the early part of your account, notice how they got the shifty little governor-like position in there. You know, it's like this person that's like temporary or something. In other words, they can go anytime. Uh, it's, it's a strange thing, but Jason, before we keep going down the road, is there anything you want to get in here? Well, I think you might not know how many people actually responded to that. And maybe even just one or two was enough to wake this dude up and be like, yeah, I'm overstepping my bounds just a bit. There's a strange thing about the I'm just going to use the word vulgarity a lot anymore 
because I accept that that's where we are. We've fallen into the vulgar age and we're trying to climb back out. And what we see is a corporately legal system, which is trying to supplant the older ideas of so-called laws being to the benefit of living men and living women. They're trying to supplant that and they will look you in the eye and tell you, I don't care what comes out of your mouth, but if you hand them a legal paper, it's a whole, all of a sudden it becomes real to them. And we've seen examples of this over and over and over. So I want to keep pushing forwarders. What's Verdad? I want to say something to do with green. What is it? Oh, it's Medicos por la Verdad. And that means doctors or medical professionals for the truth. For the truth. Okay. So it goes back. So just so people know, Verdad, I got hung up on Verde trying to take apart the roots in the way I do, but it's actually rooting to the vernal equinox. In other words, Verdad is no different than saying very. It's no different than saying the sun comes up every morning at the exact second it needs to. There's the root, the V-E-R. And where did we learn that? From the Reverend Robert Taylor in the devil's pulpit. He'll tell you all about those ammonian radicals. And you can see what I do. I'm like my own worst enemy here as I'm trying to get through this. I'm taking apart words trying to get. So let's pick up a group called Medicos por la Verdad sends an info packet to the senator and others. And it's nearly a thousand pages of information all the senators and official and possibly the chief of police in every county. So what's next? You hear they're mandating proof of vaccine for certain businesses. In other words, the goods and the services are going to be the gateway to hell for those that fall for this bullying and pony up and do what they want. Go ahead, pick up right there. Yeah. So essentially they didn't do anything. I think I mentioned that they kind of slowly reinstated everything. And then the next thing that really kind of got my attention was they mandated proof for vaccine for not just federal employees, but hotels, Airbnbs, and my family has Airbnbs. And so of course panic set in. And then I I connected with divulge a PR, which just means like divulge, like I guess disclose. And he mentions that there's a workaround that if you have a religious exemption with a seal and a stamp from a formal church, that you actually can present your religious exemption and not have to present your status. Hey, man, I think I heard of a church like that. Isn't it like Templus Aquarii or something (laughs) like that? And by by the way, if I'm going to get up on the soapbox for a second, if I'm not mistaken, historically, Puerto Rico was heavily Catholic. Isn't that true? Yeah. From what I understand, they were. I've got a a few mentors that I'm working with to learn various types of things like PMAs. And one of my mentors said that the king of Puerto Rico, when they were native, right, they were Taino and Boricua way back in the day. And the king took some deal with the Spaniards to sell the Puerto Ricans out, which then obviously they came in with the Inquisition and wiped them all out and they became very heavily Catholic. Right. I have a very dear friend who's, I don't know, 20 years my senior, uh, who grew up in Puerto Rico, and he always impressed me. Know why? He spoke English, he spoke Latin, he spoke Spanish, and he spoke Greek. Know why? He went to a Catholic school back in the day. Um, The level of education, even for a Catholic school boy in those days was so far beyond what we see now, which is why I brought it up. Let's pull it back around. So your Airbnbs, under the pressure of these supposed mandates, which apparently don't have a law backing any of them, but you're under pressure and you realize you can use the religious exemption to maintain some sanity. Yeah. So essentially I already had a church and 
I mean, my whole last decade of my life, I've been holding ceremonies and doing healings. So the next natural progression for me personally would have been some kind of temple, like a healing retreat or a temple. I don't care that we have to invoke the legalese term of church or minister if it's going to protect our people. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So essentially I started to study nonstop. I studied all kinds of things about how to open up a 508C1A. And I I don't know if you've had other guests on the show that have spoken about the 508C1A. Have you? Well, it depends. Are we talking about a private club here? Because typically the nonprofit idea is a 5013C. If I remember, I used to be president of like a a society that was a 5013C, but it's a 508C1A. A lot of 11s in there, by the way. Um, (laughs) Is that a private club PMA kind of thing? Yeah. So PMAs can use that designation, but um, Mm. the original... The what the 508C1A is a designation that the IRS issues a church, a First Amendment church, because the de facto system has zero jurisdiction, even according to their rules, over a 508C1A, which is essentially just a religious assembly. So when you become a 501C3 that most people just blindly go into, you are now in contract with the IRS for, I believe, upwards of 40 bullet points that say you can no longer speak out against conspiracies. You can't get involved politically. You can't um, you know, speak out against the whole poke thing. You can't do any of these things. And if you do, you lose your tax-exempt status. But interestingly, as a church, you already are mandatorily tax exempt. You don't have to file anything, you know? So that's what I really wanted to become because most churches you see are 501c3s, but the 508c1a holds the highest diplomatic immunity, if you will, because we're out of their jurisdictions altogether. Well, let's, I, I don't want to throw a monkey wrench in, but you know me, my eyes won't leave me alone. So let's take the 508c1a. So if you write it, it's 508 C, the letter C, one, the letter A. So start at the eight. Eight plus C is eight plus three. That's 11. One and A is another 11. So there's two 11s there. If you add them together, it's four. There's a five in the front. So you've taken two 11s to make a nine. So there's a 911 in code within this. But what we are learning is that the private club type idea has become very popular. And the reason I think it became popular is because the powers that be used these private clubs for years and years and years to not be subject to many of the rules or laws in an area. A private membership could say, hey, only men are coming in here and no one could beef about it because it was a private club. So that's a whole mouthful. Yeah. And I guess I'll just add on to that last bullet point there. I wrote down, like I looked at all the the requirements of a church and I saw that we kind of already was working with that. So I just wrote them formally and published them and wrote out a very simple doctrine and tenets, which the basis of it is self-governance. Like you're the master of yourself in all aspects, your body, your religion, your spirituality, everything. And that's kind of like the basis of it. And I added a few things in there that are direct reflections of my spiritual practice, like using the breath as meditation and prayer, which also simultaneously protects us from masks, right? Because the air that we breathe is so sacred. That is our direct connection, not only to our consciousness, but also to source and to this whole matrix that we can tap into. And the bad guys know that. (laughs) Hey, Jason, we got one that can see without the glasses. (laughs) Did you make the correlation that your breath is your spirit at any point? Or did you just lay it out verbatim as you stated? 
Yeah, absolutely. I could send you over. It's on our website. They're really beautifully written and they were super channeled. Like in the moment, it was just really pure. And it all came from this place, basically my covenant that I have with nature and source. So basically the creation, uh, we, we did this before with, who was it, Jason, Dr. Trebbing. He has some very beautiful little documents that you get when you join his church. And I got all this email afterwards saying, oh, you non-believer, how could you dare? And I thought, really? Really? So people are being protected so they can breathe oxygen and renew their spirit within God's creation. And that's what you took away from this. It's like, holy Holy, holy. I don't, I don't get it. But anyhow, so you, you pick up notarizing affidavits for religious practice and study, and you do a lot. You've got your tenets and your doctrine all out. And by the way, can anyone join this? And do they get documents that prove they're a member? Yeah, absolutely. So for the sake of your show and your listeners, I created a free affidavit that doesn't have like our church branding on there. And it's the one that we've used to get exemption. I mean, I've approved over like 400 exemptions now worldwide, and we can get into that later. But yeah, anybody can join, but they will have to sign a PMA agreement. And the cool thing about the PMA agreement, some of us come from like a a privacy standpoint where we're like, hey, I don't trust you. I don't want to sign your thing, right? But the PMA agreement is how we protect our freedom of speech because within a private membership association and assembly, we are now allowed to do whatever we want and discuss whatever we want and have any religious quote unquote practices that we have. So the PMA agreement is real simple. It basically says like, hey man, this is what we do. Don't tell the agents. You're not an agent. Cool. We aren't either. And do you agree with our doctrine and tenets? Okay, awesome. So they'll have to sign that. And then there's different tiers of membership that's going to help me recoup the costs of the software that I had to install for this. Because these things, when you sign the PMA agreement, It's actually now I bought the same software that people would use to like sell a house online. It's a legally bound contract. And the cool thing about that is I'm sure your guests have talked about this on your show. Contract law is one of the highest in the lands. So if you and I sign a contract that we're never going to eat a Wendy's burger again, there is nothing that any government official could do to force us to break that contract. You know what I'm saying? Perfect. Pay attention. Listen to what's being said. Perfect. This is the nature of the kind of vulgar behemoth of corporate, they act like it's law, but corporate ideals are not the same as actual laws. But the point is what she's laying down here is their own problem, right? Once you're in a contract, they can't break a contract. Anyhow, continue. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one I believe is we started having notary parties here and I would notarize like 50 people's paperwork at a time. And it's interesting because the government of Puerto Rico started providing their own quote unquote affidavit and people would show up saying my school or my job is requiring this. And I would look at this and be like, no, why would I use the weaponry from the opposite team? Right? So instead I drafted us, I think it's, it's fluctuated between 16 pages and 21 pages over the course. I don't know what it's at now, but with our own notary page and our own seals and everything, basically perfectly in alignment with our church and our church values. And we would sign it in a way that accurately preserves the rights of living men and women while we're signing it. Because if we were to use their paperwork, of course, we'd be roped into the de facto once again, giving up our rights. Jason, I've covered this so many damn times. I think the last two episodes, Jason pointed out again and again, when they tell you, would you like a religious exemption? Please go to our website. Just know, just know, don't beg. 
for rights that you already have. And don't sign stuff from places you don't agree with. You write your own documents. And if you don't get that, then they're still taking advantage of the fact that you're a bit of a baby, that you don't realize that you can create your own statement for yourself, defend your own God-given rights. And this, this has been a problem so often, I can't tell you where people said, well, they told me they'd give me a religious exam. No, man, you don't beg for religion. Either you have it or you don't. So I'm asking you, do you have a spiritual path? If you say yes to me, then you never need to beg anything from anyone else ever again. You may have to put it out front and defend it, but you sure as hell don't beg for permission to have a spiritual path. Anyhow, you're putting in all these hours and you're doing revisions and you discover that your exemptions are working and your church is growing and it's not just growing locally, overseas members and the whole deal. Yeah, absolutely. And just to piggyback on that, so many times I have to reiterate to our new members, look, we don't go begging with little letters expressing our religion, like asking and begging for an exemption. We put them on notice of our religious practices. And then we have to be prepared to do what we will. You know, if the universe says, hey, look, this is a, this is part of the old decaying de facto system, the old world that's dying out, you're going to need to shift gears and align your income with something that's more sustainable in our new sovereign earth that we're building collectively, then sometimes you might have to make that sacrifice. But having the backing of a church that is legitimate and that is growing with members, you know, we're up to like 700 members now worldwide, and that's just wow. been word of mouth. So yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a little bit of a mind shift, you know? And I do think that this has been one, I've gotten feedback from members saying that part of what's been so helpful to them is that they oftentimes don't even need to use their exemption, just knowing that they're backed by something as powerful as a church that they really can get with in terms of integrity, aligning heart and mind, having that vibrational essence and that authority when they walk in, people aren't even asking them for it. Right. You know, you know, people like Paul and Slave, others we've had on, the mind shift has been so overwhelmingly completed in these individuals that simply a look and it's done. People are not going down that road. They know who they're looking at. They can sense it. They can feel it. And spiritually, this is how you know spiritual ideas are real. It's happened to me. I've explained a few times when I walked into a hospital, scared for my mother, had completely mask was the furthest thing from my mind. And all of a sudden I realized I'm walking through a place where everyone is wearing a mask. Every single person, first doctor I pass has like a, a damn hazmat suit on, not even kidding. The only thing he was missing was an oxygen tank on his ridiculous mask. And he looks me dead in the eye and I just looked at him to his soul and he said nothing to me. So no one's telling me the importance of the spiritual nature, but you, so shifting back, you're doing these things and you've got hundreds of hours and you find out that your exemptions are working. Do you feel like now that your exemptions when applied correctly are going to work every time? You know, for a while there, they were working 100% of the time until they switched with this whole mandate with the OSHA stuff and that. Then I had my first one that was denied. It was a military man. Uh, And they said, look, your exemption's approved out of all the people. We think yours is the only one that's sincere, but we still are requiring you to get it. And that just 
it upset me because <laughs> I feel like a mama bear to my people. But in his case, he was surrendered with it. He was like, nope, I'm just going to pivot out of this. I'm going to retire anyways. I don't need to be a part of that beast. So in his case, that was the only one I've heard about so far that hasn't worked. But before that, we had seen a hundred percent success rate. Did you queue back up on that situation or did the, did the individual agree to the pressure? No, no, no. He's quitting. He's quitting. He's getting out. There, there, and see, this is so critical. So could be that that place just violated a man's universal rights. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure you could say that they did. He stated why he was exempt. He stated that I have free will and the divine spark. I'm not begging. And still, before he buckled under, he said, I'll just go somewhere else. This is so critically important. So many cases of people, well, I tried. Okay, here, let me roll up my sleeve. It's like, what are you doing? All right. So you're holding regular formal temple meetings and services. And you're, let's see, you're learning to meet requirements of a lawful church. You're sharing common sense law for living men and women. You've got guests, guest teachers, classes, online temple space, and you're really working to perfect the idea of the affidavit. Yeah. You know, using a lot of the resources that you've had also, I actually kind of found your law series after I had already written a few versions of my affidavit, but I mean, I was taking any, any kind of course I could and revising them and nonstop writing them because I like a little bit of the perfectionism, but the whole time I wanted to point out when I was doing this, I was rewriting the affidavit for our temple, but really what I was doing was I was rewriting my own consciousness to really come to this belief that, because when this whole thing happened, right, it was evident that no other person, no other living man or woman should have the right to tell me what I do with my body. It's asinine. However, even with, maybe it was my military background, it took a little bit to detox that de facto programming from my body and my mind. So every time I rewrote the affidavit, I was essentially rewriting my own inner programming, which I think is the most important thing that we can learn. It's not so much about what we say, it's how we say it and holding that energy field when our mind and heart are aligned and we know with the fullness of our integrity, it is not right for another person to be able to dictate to me what I do. If I am living under the most autocratic, which just means self-governing integrity between me and my highest expression of self slash source slash God, whatever you want to call it. Nobody has that right to tell me anything other than that. I am the highest authority for me. So yeah, that was the process of rewriting those affidavits. You know, it underscores, you can't fake remaining in honor, I think is, is the real takeaway, right? Either you're in honor or you're not. And if you are, that means something beyond the gross manifestation that we all see and are aware of within the world. There's something more to remaining in honor. And it's a bit like me walking through the hospital. It was almost like I had a bubble around me that I didn't even notice until a couple of days later when I had to reassess what just happened here. But have any of these affidavits had to go any steps further or have the affidavits been enough to put people where they want to be? Yes. So actually a few times we've gone back and forth and I mentioned a case later on, but one of our members here locally man, we had to go to three affidavits. And this is why I have, if you see on my website, you're going to see a package that's like the full notary and it's 350 bucks because it's so taxing to be able to be on the clock for a week at a time, writing all day, nonstop, doing everything. And I just don't have that kind of bandwidth. So the price is high to like deter people from doing that unless you really, really need it. Cause I can't do a lot of those. Right. But in his case, we gave him three different revisions. And the third one was 
really, really intense. And then they, they didn't say anything to him. We gave them 30 days to rebut and then they rebutted. Then we gave them, I think it was 11 days to rebut. They rebutted. We gave them seven days to rebut. They gave us some excuse. And then just recently, this was months ago, just this week, actually, he wrote me saying that they have indefinitely approved his exemption. How did they rebut? I mean, most of the affidavits I've seen would be nearly impossible to rebut. Were the rebuttals ridiculous or were they serious? Yeah. So they weren't formal rebuttals. They did not address us bullet by bullet. They just wrote him an email, basically ignoring it as if it wasn't, it didn't even exist. And the first time they tried to say that his exemption was denied because, oh gosh, let me remember that it was scientific in nature because he attached a cover letter that basically he, he added some scientific things in there. And I was like, whoa, 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 no. (laughs) So because in our religion, we don't believe that we should share our religion with people that aren't on the same page with us for a number of reasons, right? Because A, you put yourself in jeopardy, but most, most importantly, it's the, the whole concept of free will. If they haven't done the work to even be at that same level, I'm not going to go sharing all of my lifetimes of you know, experience and, and research and um, spiritual practice with somebody who just could never understand it. So we write that into our exemption now after this case, like, look, our minister has prepared an official statement because it's against our religion to speak on our religion. So we redid his first one that he sent. He sent a cover letter that had all this scientific documentation and they denied it. They said, look, yours isn't spiritual. It's not religion and religious in nature. We're denying you. So that's when we had to step it up with the next one and the next one. And then finally, I think they must have reviewed it through their lawyers or whatever and was like, okay, this is legitimate. You have some problems. We're going to just go ahead and give him everything he needs. And he's also exempt from the PCR and mask. Well, I would would make a couple observations here. They never did rebut. And so someone who actually realizes the power of an affidavit, if this were to go further to some courtroom, at no time did they ever rebut. To rebut, you have to take the points and you have to refute them or push back against them in some way. What they basically did was said, we don't recognize anything here. We've got an affidavit. We don't see it. We don't read it. We don't respond to it. In my book, that would be a non-rebuttal. How could any court call that a rebuttal? It's just simply a denial that anything has happened, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just the bullying, right? Because they know they can get away with it. Well, can they? In a court of law, can they? This this becomes the whole power behind those affidavits. It's one thing for an affidavit to be effective in the short run and give the person relief that they're seeking. It's another for it to actually go to the enforceable part where actual judge or someone else is going to say, hey, this is the way it is now, folks. I'm just saying that an affidavit, these affidavits have been used because they're known to be basically gospel in a court of law if they have gone unrebutted. And so I would point out that the most important thing that could have happened, and I'll speak for Alphonse, maybe, maybe he'll tell me I'm wrong, but I have a feeling Alphonse would say every time they just denied, that was a feather in your cap because you're keeping records and they did not rebut. So if it ever did go to court, I'm guessing, I mean, don't you feel that's what Alphonse would say, Jason? Oh yeah. Yeah. It feels that way. Anything you want to get in at this point, Jason? I think she's proving the fact that if you stand your ground and just keep going at them, these things succeed. And that's exactly what we've seen as well with all the people that we've put on. 
It reminds me of the old idea of a magic spell has to be spoken three times in a courtroom. You have to ask three times. And if you still don't get your answer at the end of the third ask, then it has in fact been answered. It's a little bit like that. If you're going to stand up and say, "Uh uh-uh, you better be serious about it. In other words, if you say no and they push back, you better say no again. And by the way, how many times did this go back and forth? Did it go back and forth exactly three times? Exactly three times. There it is. Probably some lawyer along the way looked at it or who knows, but so much of the the effectiveness that we have seen is from bullying and them doubling down every time and people becoming afraid after the first or second double down. And, you know, this is the whole idea that people like Paul Enslaved and others that we've covered, uh, Kurt Kallenbach, they changed their mind. And it is not possible that they're going to back down. They don't live in that space anymore. And this bullying is going to test you. What space do you live in? If I push back hard enough, are you going to buckle? Uh, someone who's changed up and gone the spiritual path, doesn't matter how hard you get pushed, uh, you're not buckling. So your church is growing. You've helped a number of people. And they're opening their own churches and becoming ordained so they can sign on the behalf of their members in their locations with notaries. And let me just say a thing here. I know it's going to happen. People who were raised religion are going to have all this devil nonsense to throw at people you know, doing their own church. I'm going to ask a simple question here. Did you receive the divine spark and free will at the zygote? Yes or no? You got to make your own decision here. And if you say yes is not where we exist, the creation, yes or no. If you're going to get hung up on needing a freaking man in black robes and an altar, go think about what I just said, a man in black robes and an altar with goblets and bodies to be eaten, then you don't quite get how we arrived at where we are now. No living man or woman has to ask permission of anyone anywhere for a spiritual reality. It is granted to you when you come to exist. So I just want to get that out of the way because I can hear already the comments that are going to follow in. So anyhow, things are growing. People are setting up their own systems. And basically, what are they doing? They're setting up a way to protect their own religious endeavors, spiritual endeavors within a system that's seeking to crush that basically, right? Yeah. And honestly, if we're looking at it this way, we see different themes with the age of Aquarius. And one of those we see is decentralization. And of course, the controllers want to take that and use it in a way that makes them win. However, they're just following nature's natural tendencies. And that is one of decentralization. And this is the era where our spirituality is the first thing that needs to be decentralized. I'm just going to read you our first tenet. It's super common sense. It's non-dogmatic. Every member is their own spiritual master ordained by God or any name you choose to call the pulse of conscious fabric connecting us all and shall govern themselves in accordance with their highest accountability and integrity under God. So it doesn't matter what religion you are, everybody can get with that. And if you want to study the Bible or the Quran or whatever it is you want to study in any way you want, you will still find that you have this spark inside of you. You cannot separate yourself from it unless you want to go the fallen timeline way. So we're not conflicting anything. And if we went back to how things used to be, it was kind of like every family was a church, you know, with either the father or the mother as the spiritual leader and the children were learning in that temple. And this, it's really no different. And I see that in the future, we could go this direction. In the new sovereign earth that we build, everybody could have these decentralized family temples that are protected. 
decentralization is a fact and it is a fact of our era and it began when the internet or arpanet or any predecessor of what we call the internet came to be the idea put forth by people who like to make war was that if we decentralize communication and a city gets blown off the map it doesn't matter because communications go on a hundred ways the route that makes it becomes the delivery method so it doesn't matter if a city gets blown off the map i'm not even kidding that's the logic behind the reason for decentralization. The real reason for decentralization is it cannot be contained, and nature is the ultimate example of decentralization. But what I like about what you described is it occurs to me that no reasonable individual could possibly be under any mystery. They comprehend what they're saying. They comprehend what they're doing. The only mystery that could follow could be if they choose to study the Bible, there's your mystery. What you're studying, you're learning, your search to know more becomes the only mystery, not the access to it, which has been reversed all these years with Vatican's and churches. Uh, the mystery is up front. Um, you know, it's just you don't even know what the mystery of what you're engaging is. Most of us, at least that's what I found to be true of my days under the men in the black robes. But anyhow, I think we're there. Jason, we're pretty close. Anything you want to get in before I wrap up hour one? Let's just say thank you so much for all that you've been doing, Kalina. And hopefully you can be an inspiration for others with your fantastic examples and they'll get off their butts and actually do something. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I, I didn't realize that I would be doing this, but when you sign up to be of service, right, to protect our God-given rights, unalienable rights, that really sticks with you. And I think, Crow, you probably could really resonate with that, that that's what this is all about. We're all just, we're doing anything we can. And even if you think you can't make a difference, you just have to try. If you think you can't make a difference, you have already lost. And I can't imagine a higher spiritual calling in the era we find ourselves that I call the vulgar era than to protect or show others how to protect their rights. Because when you say those words, what you're actually saying is at the zygote, you got the divine spark granted. The word is granted, given, free and clear, along with the right to choose anything you want, free will. Those are inalienable rights as it's been written in other places. But what's happened here is there's a run on the world. Somebody wants the whole enchilada, the sauce, the salad, and the rice and beans. They want it all. And to get it all, they have to deal with the divine spark and the free choice that was granted us all. The way they're going to do it is to try to get you to give it up voluntarily through bullying, through fear, through any way that they can connive to get you to do it. The true spiritual seeker. The person who understands the value of what they were granted at the zygote or their very beginning is that you don't lay down ever. These things are worth dying for, what you have been granted. And most of the attempts to try to get them from you will not even approach the idea of taking a life. It does happen in this world, though, doesn't it? Um, my point here is, tell me, anyone listening, is there a higher spiritual calling right now in our vulgar era than showing and helping people to defend what the creator has granted to them. Anyhow, that brings our one of 384 to a close. I should say, Kalina will be in comments. We'll get all the links in. Um, all the documents that are going to be referenced will be available through the linkage. Uh, the documents are available bilingually, I believe. But there it is. Join us at Crow 777 Radio for our two, CRROW777radio.com. And members know to log in for the full two-hour episode. And with that, I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
Canopies of Knowing. <laughs>